From the Financial Times in New York, I'm Shannon Bond, and this is FT News. The turnaround at Uber has hit an array of obstacles. After a string of scandals last year that ended in the ouster of founder Travis Kalanick, investors looked to new chief executive Dara Khosrowshahi to bring financial discipline and fresh leadership to the privately held ride-hailing company. But a retreat from markets in Asia and a tragic accident with one of its self-driving cars have distracted from Uber's efforts to improve its business model and its reputation ahead of plans to go public next year. On the line from San Francisco to discuss where things stand for the company is the FT's West Coast editor, Richard Waters. So let's start with Uber's retreat from Asia. Can you explain a little bit what the current ride-sharing landscape is in Asia and what they've actually decided to do now both in China and in Southeast Asia? So, you know, we have to remember that Uber had one of the most ambitious global models that any startup has ever attempted. It tried to become the market leader in a huge new industry in just about every region of the world. And so obviously it didn't win everywhere. Copycats have done very well in some countries and regions in getting market lead, and Grab is one of them. Grab, based in Singapore, across Southeast Asia, probably has two-thirds, three-quarters of the market. The numbers are a little soft. Uber is the number two, and so they've folded their hand. They've decided they're not going to win this battle over the weekend or beginning of this week. We've heard now that they are folding their business into Grab, taking a minority stake in the market leader there, um, licking their wounds and coming home. This follows a similar retreat in China, right? Yeah, they did this in China a year and a half ago. You know, China was a real bloodbath for Uber. They were spending a, a fortune. And, you know, even under Travis Kalanick, when they were at their most aggressive, expansive phase, this was just not sustainable. So they took 20% stake in Didi Xuxing, you know, the market leader in China, that actually is going to be a hugely valuable business for them, a hugely valuable investment for them over time. But, you know, the strategic retreat is very obvious that uh, that Uber has been retreating back to markets where it thinks it has a real chance to make money. And let's not forget Russia. They did the same thing in Russia, handing their uh, business there to Yandex, taking a big minority. Right. And to your point about the, these minority stakes that they're taking, I mean, certainly in this latest case with Grab, Uber is trying to paint his experience in Southeast Asia as as ultimately a financial success. Um, is that fair, given the amount of money that they, they were spending trying to compete in these markets? Well, I think there are two things uh, to bear in mind. First of all, yes, it's a modest financial success. They put in, they say, $700 million. A lot of that would have been spent in subsidies to support riders and drivers as they try to build up a market. So, you know, they lost $700 million, but they now have a stake that they say is worth several billion. You know, we hear somewhere north of $2 billion. So, you know, modest, well, not so modest, but not a bad financial success. But the more important thing is it's a strategic failure. You know, they are admitting that they can't see a way to becoming number one or even a very profitable number two in markets like this. So, you know, the Uber world is shrinking. So the next thing we, we should talk about here is the role of SoftBank, which has stakes in all of these companies. So from, from the angle of, of SoftBank as an investor, what are they trying to do here? I think in this move, you know, we might be able to detect the hand of SoftBank. So SoftBank has been an investor in Grab, the largest investor in Grab. They took a stake in Uber in a, you know, that very high profile $9 billion investment late last year. They're obviously an investor in, uh, in all the other large 
ride-hailing services around the world, for them to see consolidation, to see uh, rival companies that are burning through money trying to establish market position, to see those companies reach truces where the market leader wins and the, the number two, the challenger, retreats, you know, is a good sign because it, it points to a more orderly phase in the ride-hailing market where maybe that you know these companies will actually start to make some money. It means obviously higher fares, less choice for consumers, I think, are, you know, things that we're going to be uh, asking about in the next few years. But, you know, for SoftBank behind the scenes, you know, it all looks like uh, good news. And so, of course, this all comes at a time when Uber has just faced a significant setback in its home market, you know, at a time when it's it's really focusing on the U.S. They've had to suspend testing of their self-driving car project after a woman was killed crossing the street. So how is that issue affecting Uber specifically? And talk a little bit about the challenge and the broader push for autonomous vehicles, um, which, of course, Uber is just only one player in. So Darakazar Shahi, when he took over, basically faced a choice. You know, what was he going to invest in and double down on? And what was he going to cut to make Uber profitable? And a really big question was autonomous driving technology. You know, it's a very expensive race that Uber has joined here against companies like Tesla and Waymo, uh, which is a sister company of Google. So uh, initially, um, the Uber CEO had questions about this, but he's essentially decided that driverless car technology is strategically essential to Uber because one day there won't be any drivers. This will be core to its business. So the accident that you talked about that happened a couple of weeks ago is absolutely the worst thing he could have thought of at this point in time. The video that police in Tempe, Arizona have released of the accident seems to show a safety driver in the car not paying attention, seems to show the Uber technology failing to identify a woman crossing a dark street. But, you know, the technology is meant to be able to cope with this. And so Uber suspended its its testing. For me, this is probably going to be Khosrow Shahi's first really big challenge because, you know, he has to get past this tragic accident and show that Uber not only can stay in this race, but can actually become a serious player. So I think, you know, this is this is the thing we should be looking at the rest of this year. Right. And this, I mean, as you say, it's kind of the first new issue that he has to deal with that's really under his watch. A lot of the other things that have come up in his short tenure so far as CEO have been, you know, issues that predated him and actually were some of them part of the reasons that he was brought in, right? You had this issue of, of a big data breach. You had, of course, the, the Waymo trial, which they settled. They're fighting their legal status in London. Given all of these challenges, what's happened? Where are we at now in the in the public perception of the company? There was a hashtag movement on Twitter to delete Uber. And that was one of the, the main things that Khosrow Shahi has had to tackle in his new role. Is he succeeding? Well, as you say, he's the cleanup man. And I think we have to judge him on two fronts. One is, can he end you know these these investigations and lawsuits that are hanging over the company and you know there are a number of federal investigations in the US as you say he ended or settled a, a legal case with Waymo which was you know at least is a one significant step but it won't be you know very easy to settle all these federal cases quickly so i think this is going to hang over them for a long time the other question is the brand one and you know as uber cuts back in in more marginal markets the focus does come back to the US you know we thought it was game over in the US Uber had more than 80% market share and because of all the problems that you talk about there has been a swing back 
towards Lyft, its main competitor. And Lyft has had a new lease of life. Um, Uber's market share is probably around 70% now. The question is, has it stabilised? And so Khosrow Shah, he has to show that he has stabilised Uber at this point, that he can turn around the brand damage and you know, start building again from here. You know, he's got a he's got a really tough road ahead. Yeah. And ultimately, I mean, people are going to vote with their wallets. Right. And whether or not they want to be associated with this company. So what does all this mean for for Uber's IPO um, that they're hoping to do next year? Will it will it affect those plans? I think we should see that timetable as aspirational. You know, the, the the point about Uber and a lot of these big unicorn tech startups is they've basically pushed off their public listings indefinitely. The message they were sending was, we don't really care when that happens because we've got more important things to do, which is, you know, build market share in these, you know, dynamic and exciting new markets that we've invented. Uber, very importantly, has put a stake in the ground and said, you know, we realize that we have to change. We have to become profitable. We have to become sustainable. We also need better governance. We need a strong legal foundation. Those are all things that a public company needs. And, you know, to put a timetable of next year is very ambitious, I think, to get there. I think it's a, it's a sign that Khosrow Shah, he's given internally and externally, you know, Uber is serious about change. Way too soon to say whether he's going to get there by next year, though. You can read more about Uber at ft.com slash tech. Thanks so much, Richard. Good to talk to you, Shannon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.